Yes, dear, the Bucks are the champions. I'm Tyson Whiting with your 2020 sports update. The Milwaukee Bucks overcome a 0-2 series deficit by winning four games in a row to win their first championship since 1971. Milwaukee won game six by a 105-98 score over the Phoenix Suns as Giannis Antetokounmpo had 50 points, 14 rebounds, and five blocks as he clinched the finals MVP award. The Greek Freak averaged 35.2 points per game and 13.2 rebounds per contest in the series. In game six, five different Milwaukee players scored in double figures, including 16 points from Bobby Portis off the bench. In pro football, the 49ers signed linebacker Fred Warner to a five-year contract extension that will keep him in San Francisco through the 2026 season. It's reported to be a five-year, $95 million contract with $40 million guaranteed. That makes him the highest paid linebacker in the league. Fred Warner was named a first-team All-Pro in 2020. And in hockey, the Seattle Kraken will finally have a team full of players as on Wednesday they reveal their selections in the 2021 NHL expansion draft. Seattle will select 30 players, one per team excluding the Vegas Golden Knights, as the Kraken must select at least 14 forwards, nine defensemen, and three goalies, and at least 20 players who are under contract for next season. The NHL draft follows the expansion draft on July 23rd, and the regular season begins in October. I'm Tyson Whiting. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hey, welcome to the brand new Tyson Show. I'm Tyson Whiting talking about everything in the world of sports. We get a lot of football discussion going on as SEC Media Days are this week, SWAC Media Days as well, as Deion Sanders pulled off a publicity stunt for the ages. And we'll also talk some pro football as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers could get punished for not putting Tom Brady on the injury list last season. And the Green Bay Packers really have a lot of questions as to whether Aaron Rodgers is going to show up to fall camp. But i got to imagine in the state of Wisconsin, the Packers and Aaron Rodgers, that story will be there. And that story is going to linger throughout the rest of the summer. However, I think in the state of Wisconsin, they're talking about Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Milwaukee Bucks winning the NBA championship for the first time in 50 years, 1971, led by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Oscar Robertson, the Milwaukee Bucks last won a championship until they ended up winning game six and overcoming a 2-0 deficit in the NBA Finals to win four in a row and win their first championship in 50 years. Giannis Antetokounmpo was the MVP, and in some respects, he was doing things that only the all-time greats do. His performance in game six of the NBA Finals ranks right up there with the greatest games in NBA history. After all, Giannis is the first player in playoff history since blocks were first tracked in 1973 to come up with a game with 50 points, 10 rebounds, and five block shots. And his 50 points are tied with Bob Pettit for the most in a finals clinching game in NBA history. Bob Pettit, one of the more underrated greats in history. Now, he was a power forward for the St. Louis Hawks back in the late 1950s. And that's right, St. Louis had an NBA team back then. And really, it's a great rags-to-riches story. If you think about the Milwaukee Bucks, who really were not all that far away, and you know, it was possible and very much a possibility that the Bucks were going to move if they didn't build an arena. So it's fitting that they ended up winning at Pfizer Forum because if that arena wasn't built, they may not be the Milwaukee Bucks. Instead, they probably would be the reincarnation of the Seattle Supersonics. And it's kind of interesting to see the Milwaukee Bucks come full circle in seven years. After all, in Giannis's rookie year in the 2013-2014 season, the Bucks won only 15 games. And their reward for that awful season was the second overall pick where they took Jabari Parker, and that didn't exactly work out. And so it's kind of interesting to see the Milwaukee Bucks kind of turn from that team in 2014 to a championship team. And there was a lot of a lot of ups and downs along the way. I mean, obviously seeing Giannis grow over the last seven or eight years certainly is big, but it wasn't necessarily a perfect rebuild for the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, after all, you think about that Jabari Parker pick not panning out, and part of that had to do with injuries, but part of it had to do with the growth of Giannis Antetokounmpo and why the Milwaukee Bucks are champions in 2021. And you think about Giannis doing some things, and it's unbelievable. You know, the guy that's about, I'd say, 6'11", and when he came into the league, and it's kind of interesting, I saw some photos last night of Giannis Antetokounmpo as a rookie at about, I'd say, 6'9 and 190 pounds. Not only did he end up gaining about 50 pounds over the last seven years, 
but he ended up putting on a couple inches. You know, he ended up getting taller. And so he's now 6'11", maybe even 7 feet if, he, you know, if he's on his tippy toes a little bit. Or maybe he's got his shoes on. I mean, he's, he's enormous. You know, they don't call him the Greek freak for nothing. And his development over the last few years has been unbelievable. And you think about putting him in that category with the all-time greats, I mean, absolutely. With, with this championship and maybe and if it, even if he wouldn't have won the championship, even if Phoenix would have came back one game six and then gone to Phoenix in one game seven, I think you're still looking at Giannis Antetokounmpo as one of the all-time greats, even though the hot take shows would have their own opinion. And because he wouldn't have won the finals, they, they would have just been you know, putting it off and saying, yeah, Giannis can't win the big one. But you think about what he did, Giannis Antetokounmpo this year as we're talking NBA Finals. We'll talk some football a little bit later on here on the Tyson Show. Giannis is doing things that only the all-time greats did. In fact, he's the ninth player to win multiple MVPs and a Finals MVP in his career. But to do it at his age, at 26 years old, is unbelievable. I mean, the only players to do that when a, a multiple MVPs and a Finals MVP at the age of 26 or younger are Tim Duncan and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. That sounds about right, and it's interesting to see Kareem on that list because he was the Bucks' best player when they last won it all 50 years ago. And so you're talking about a guy in Giannis Antetokounmpo who's doing things that Tim Duncan, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar did, you know, the other all-time greats. I mean, you're talking about a guy that really developed uh, at a, a young age, and it was kind of bit interesting to see his growth, and not only growth as a basketball player, but his physical growth year in and year out to where he looks like a 6'11", 240-pound machine out on the court. And it's amazing to see what he has done. In fact, he is the only player in NBA history with five all-star appearances, five all-NBA selections, multiple MVPs. He won it in 2019 and 2020, a finals MVP, and a defensive player of the year award before the age of 27. So you're talking about things that only LeBron James, Michael Jordan, you know, guys like that. And I think that with this with this uh, run that he had, and specifically with that game six, the legendary performance of 50 points and 10 rebounds, five blocks, you got to put him right there with the all-time greats. And, in fact, in game six, he did something that only Michael Jordan had done. I mean, after all, he had that great half in game six, and uh, according to the Elias Sports Bureau, over the last 50 years, only two players have scored 33 points and a half in a finals game, Giannis and Michael Jordan. So you're putting them right up there with the all-time greats. And I think by the time Giannis's career has come and gone, y'all, you're talking about whether his career ends 10 years from now, 15 years from now, I think you're looking at Giannis Antetokounmpo and comparing him with Michael Jordan, LeBron James, maybe even Kobe Bryant, right there with the all-time, all-time greats. I mean, you think about a guy that's not even 27 years old, and he's accomplishing things that uh, not even those guys had accomplished at that same age. It's interesting to see him score 50 points in a finals game and him doing it at the foul line. I mean, you talk about a guy that, you know, is not a good free-throw shooter, and it was interesting to see all playoffs long, and I got to imagine the rest of his career, when he goes to the foul line, the opposing, especially in visiting arenas, I mean, you're not going to hear it in Milwaukee, but every other arena around the league, they're going to be counting every time he gets to the foul line. And it's kind of similar to what the Seattle Sonics fans did 25 years ago to Carl Malone when Malone got to the foul line and they started counting because Carl Malone, like Giannis, would take a lot of time at the free throw line. But the thing was with Giannis is that he wasn't afraid to get fouled, wasn't afraid to go to the foul line. He continued to attack, and he got to the foul line, it seemed like every game, about 15 times. And I think it says something about uh, his courage, and I think it says something about, you know, with some players, Ben Simmons is the first one that comes to mind, a guy that's got a fear of failure. You know, he's, he's uh, afraid to fail. And so because of that, he doesn't become as aggressive with Giannis. He doesn't have that feel of fear of failure. And so he got fouled time and time again, went to the foul line, and he you know, he probably knows how to count to ten. I mean, it was kind of weird in game six not hearing one, two, three every time that Giannis was at the foul line. It was almost like everybody at home had to count along every time he was at the line. It's almost become a habit now. But it's interesting to see that he doesn't have that fear of failure. Okay, he's not a great free throw shooter, but he wasn't afraid to attack the basket, get fouled, and go to the line. And I think that says something about what he is as a basketball player. And it's interesting, he's the seventh player in NBA history to have 50 points in the finals. Think about the last two players to do that. 
LeBron James in 2018 and Michael Jordan in 1993. So I don't care what the hot take shows say. He belongs in that same category. And remember, he's not even 27 years old. And now you can see, you know, pretty much you're talking about a guy that carried a team to a championship, carried a city to a championship, and a guy that could have gone anywhere. You know, somebody that stayed in small market Milwaukee, he did it. Now, I think he did it in the way that the fans would say he did it the right way. He did it in the anti-Kevin Durant way. You know, I, I think that you, Kevin Durant absolutely deserves – every bit of criticism that he gets for deciding to join a 73-win team. And, yes, Kevin Durant was outstanding for the Warriors, and you can't deny that he was huge in Golden State winning the two championships back in 2017 and 2018. However, you absolutely have every right to criticize Kevin Durant for deciding to jump on the coattails of Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. It's not like he decided to join a team that won 41 games the previous year and then lead that team to a championship. What Giannis did was carry a franchise on his back and lead him to a championship. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that you can say that now that he's won it all, he's doing things, you know, as I mentioned over and over again, he's doing things that you only see the all-time greats do. In fact, Giannis joins Michael Jordan and Akeem Olajuwon is the only players in NBA history to win a regular season MVP award, a finals MVP, and a defensive player of the year. So that you essentially can say that Giannis is the only player in NBA history who was not drafted in 1984 to do all those things. And that's an NBA championship, a regular season MVP award, a finals MVP award, and a defensive player of the year award. And I think that that's what – is going to make him the all one of the all time greats. You know, you probably at the end of his career is going to you're probably going to put him right there in the top five because he does it on both ends. You know, you saw some of the big plays defensively that he made, and I don't know. I think it's going to go down in history that game five alley oop right there at the end where he gets fouled by Chris Paul. I mean, you're just talking about the stuff of legends there doing it on both ends, and really, I think as much as Giannis is going to get all the headlines, and you know, he's certainly getting the headlines here on the Tyson Show. It's not just Giannis Antetokounmpo. I mean, you talk about the old cliche of defense wins championships. Well, defense absolutely won this championship for the Milwaukee Bucks and the adjustments they made after the first two games of the finals really are huge. And you're, I don't think you can uh, I, I don't think you can say enough the job that Drew Holiday did on Chris Paul. I mean, the job that he did defensively on Chris Paul the last four games is outstanding. Chris Paul did not have a good uh, last four games of the series, and I think you got to credit Drew Holiday for the job that he did. I mean, Milwaukee's defensive game plan against the Suns in the first two games is absolutely pathetic, but then they made their adjustments. And, you know, you assign a guy like Drew Holiday, who's a premier defensive guard, and you tell Drew Holiday, hey, you got Chris Paul, and no matter what happens, you're going to make sure you shadow him. And obviously, Chris Paul is going to get his. And in game six, you know, Chris Paul had a good game, 26 points. He shot 11 of 19 from the field. You know, he had a good game. Uh, Chris Paul is probably the Suns' best player in game six. But uh, you're talking about games three, four, and five. Drew Holiday really did a number on Chris Paul. And they did some things, you know, defensively in the mid-range game that really I thought uh, made an impact. And uh, really, it just looked like Milwaukee. And even though both teams – we're in the finals for the first time. It seemed like as the series went on, while Phoenix uh, kind of mentally and physically got fatigued, it seems like that's when Milwaukee was playing its best basketball. And I, you know, I think that you know with Drew Holiday, I mean, you're talking about an off-season move there that really made an impact. And it was interesting. I, I saw an interesting tweet last night from Kyle Goon, who used to cover the Utah Jazz and is now a Lakers beat writer. And he kind of made the mention of the last three off-seasons. Uh, you know, you're talking about key offseason moves being made in the offseason that led to a championship. You think about the 2018 offseason, the Raptors traded for Kawhi Leonard, and then the Raptors ended up winning their only championship as Kawhi Leonard led them to a title, and he was the big difference in that. And trading for Kawhi Leonard certainly made the difference. And for Toronto, you knew that you probably only had him for one year, and you knew that, hey, the window of opportunity is going to be small. But if they can win it that year, you know, Toronto, obviously, the rest, of their, you know, the rest of their existence can talk about 2019 and winning a championship. And that trade for Kawhi Leonard was what really did it for them. And you think about the 2019 offseason, the Lakers trading for Anthony Davis. You can say, okay, they gave up a lot to get Anthony Davis. Well, they obviously didn't give up enough because the Lakers were holding the trophy in 2020. And the Anthony Davis trade was certainly a big reason why. 
And think about the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't think it was necessarily the biggest offseason move that we saw. I mean, after all, James Harden in the middle of the season switched teams. I mean, Kevin Durant came back from the Achilles injury. There were a lot of big offseason moves. I don't know that the Bucks getting Drew Holiday was necessarily the big headline move. After all, you talk about a guy that uh, just did everything from Milwaukee and was certainly that key piece, both offensively and defensively, that the Bucks needed to carry them to a championship. And uh, Drew Holiday, who this season averaged 17.5 points a game, six assists, four and a half rebounds, and a guy that really uh, held his own uh, uh, shooting the basketball. I mean, Drew Holiday had his best season as a shooter as he shot 50% from the field and 39% from the three-point line, you know that Giannis is going to get double-teamed. You know that him attacking the basket is going to create some openings elsewhere. And you need guys, you need shooters surrounding the Greek freak. And, you know, Chris Middleton's been an all-star multiple times now. You know, Chris Middleton's certainly that key second piece. But the Milwaukee Bucks needed something else. They needed something better than Eric Bledsoe. So they went out and got Drew Holiday, and he did it not only offensively, but the adjustments made defensively, and not only in this series against uh, Phoenix, but what he did throughout the postseason. Uh, Drew Holiday is certainly a big reason why the Milwaukee Bucks are champions. And I think that, you know, you look at Milwaukee, they're a team that is built perfect, almost perfectly. You got your superstar, you got a great second option, and Chris Middleton, who averaged 20 points a game, and you talk about what he did in the playoffs. I mean, he just took it to another level. You, know, you think about in the finals, Chris Middleton averaging 24 points a game for the entire playoffs. I mean, you're talking about a guy that uh, really just got the job done, two-time All-Star Chris Middleton. And what he did in the postseason, you know, is really take a lot of the pressure off of Giannis Antetokounmpo, and he really made some great plays. I don't think it, you, can, you can appreciate enough the, de- the defensive work that uh, that Chris Middleton put together. I mean, he's a really good defensive player as well. He's got long arms and – and, you know, he did a lot of good things for Milwaukee. And, you know, while Giannis is going to get all the headlines, Chris Middleton certainly deserves to get his fair share of headlines, averaging about 23 points a game throughout the playoff run. And yeah, they also had Brooke Lopez. They had a decent big guy. It's not like they had a superstar in the middle, but they had a really good big guy who still has something left. You know, Brooke Lopez is not a young guy anymore. I mean, he's been in the league 12 years and is 33 years old. But Brooke Lopez... Had a pretty good run as well, and they had just enough of a bench. You know, everybody's going to be talking about the contributions, and I, I think in Milwaukee they're going to build a statue, and if they don't build a statue, they're going to come close to it, building something for Bobby Portis because what he did in game six was really change momentum. I mean, second half, he was he was just about everywhere. Bobby Portis was, out, was outstanding in game six, and he really made a big difference. You know, he was somebody that a team like Phoenix didn't have. You know, he's somebody that I think a lot of teams are looking for, a 6'10 guy who can hit an outside shot, bring some energy, bring some enthusiasm. You know, Bobby Portis, who averaged eight points a game, almost nine points throughout the playoffs, only played 18 minutes a game in the Bucks playoff run, but he certainly made some key contributions for the Bucks down the stretch. And uh, you, know, you can't say enough about the Milwaukee Bucks winning the championship for the first time in 50 years. But as we were thinking about with that Kyle Goon tweet about the – key offseason moves over the last three offseasons that have led to championships kind of makes you wonder. I mean, somebody's going to be looking for that one big swing that pushes them over the top next season. I kind of wonder, you know, hanging out here in the Salt Lake Valley, right now I'm in the Utah Grizzlies offices, and so obviously we talk a lot of hockey here in the office, but uh, one of the things you talk about with the NBA is is certainly going into this offseason, and the NBA draft, which is just a week away, We'll be talking a lot about the draft uh, next week in the next edition of the Tyson Show. I kind of wonder how many teams realistically are one move away from a championship, and I kind of look at 10 teams. And I look at the Western Conference, there's a number of teams that can find themselves just one key move away from uh, being the team to not only win the Western Conference but uh, could have a good chance of winning the, the whole thing, winning the championship in 2022. I look at five teams in particular in the Western Conference. I look at Phoenix, who's probably one player away from maybe getting back to the mountaintop. I mean, Chris Paul's not getting any younger, and I think Chris Paul's going to take that player option for about $44 million. You know, Devin Booker's going to come back stronger. 
You know, you got a feeling maybe maybe Bridges, maybe Cam Johnson get gets better. I mean, you got to feel like DeAndre Ayton is just going to continue to improve each and every year. Suns are going to have to stay healthy, but it doesn't feel like they're far away from getting back to the finals. I think the Lakers. You know, you got LeBron, you got Anthony Davis. Can they reshape? the rest of that team because there are some players that really did not contribute all that much. And you can see a little bit of bickering there as players were starting to figure out their roles. You can see a lot of a lot of problems in that Lakers locker room. So can they get that thing reshaped? And if they can, and if everybody can stay healthy, hey, the Lakers can make a, another title run as well as LeBron James. You know, while he's getting up there in age, you know, you can never underestimate the Space Jam star as being somebody that can get the Lakers back to the top. Now look at the Clippers. You know, the Clippers could probably say we're not even one move away. I mean, the Clippers could pretty much say, hey, if we had a healthy Kawhi Leonard, things might end up differently. You know, maybe they end up beating Phoenix and go to the what finals. Who knows what happens there? So the Clippers, you talk about some teams maybe being one big move away. Clippers could probably say, hey, we just shape up a couple things there in terms of the middle of the roster, you know, get a couple role players. Clippers could probably say we're right there right now. All we need to do is find a way to stay healthy. You know, the Jazz uh, you know, The Jazz are an interesting team because you're talking about Mike Conley being a free agent, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert can, commanding top dollars. I mean, they're going to be making a ton of money next year. And Boyan Bogdanovich doesn't come cheap either. And so you're talking about a team over the salary cap. Can they find a way to keep Mike Conley at a lower price? Or maybe they can find somebody – like a Mike Conley in free agency. I mean, you think about a guy like Drew Holiday. You know, it almost feels like a Drew Holiday type of player is somebody that the Jazz need. You know, Utah was the number one seed going into the postseason. They could, you know, Jazz fans can say all they want about, hey, if we had a healthy Mike Conley, things would have been different this year. Fact is, Mike Conley wasn't healthy. And at 33 years old, he's not getting any younger. Now, 33 years old obviously isn't old. I mean, I'm 33 years old myself. But, uh, you know, Mike Conley, you're talking about uh, what probably is going to be an 82-game schedule next year. And if it's not 82, it's probably going to be no no less than 72. Can he find a way to stay healthy next year and be the key player that the Jazz need him to be? You know, Bogdanovich, I mean, there's some issues defensively with Bogdanovich, especially if he's playing the four. You know, I like him offensively, but I do not like Boyan Bogdanovich's defensive game. I don't like it at all. Not a shot-blocking threat. Not a guy that gets a whole lot of steals. Uh, you know, you're going to need somebody like that. I mean, Royce O'Neal. Is Royce O'Neal P.J. Tucker? He might be. You know, Jay Crowder, that's the role he's going to have to play for the Jazz, but he's also going to have to give you more than seven points a game offensively. You know, Royce O'Neal is going to have to become somebody that averages more than .8, blo- eight steals per game and .5 blocks. You know, he's going to have to make more of an impact next season for the Jazz if they're going to want to – they want any hopes of a championship. You know, Joe Ingles isn't getting any, getting any younger. You know, what are you going to get from Joe next year? You know, Jordan Clarkson, good guy off the bench, but very streaky. I mean, we saw him really have that great first half against the Clippers in game six of that series, but what do he do in the second half of that game? You know, and uh, I think as Milwaukee is showing that it doesn't really matter what players 10 through 15 on the roster are like, are like. but can the Jazz find a way to get those role players? You know, or what – Big move, and maybe the big move that the Jazz make is just saying, okay, we bring back Mike Conley, we find a way to stay healthy, find a way to peak at the right time. And you know the Jazz might be a team that could be active in the trade deadline uh, area next season during the regular season you know, if uh, if maybe they need to make a move here or there. But I think Jazz are a team. You know, What do they do in the offseason? If Mike Conley goes somewhere else, where do the Jazz go from there? I mean, what options are affordable that Jazz can make that uh, could get them back to a spot where uh, they can find themselves making a good playoff run? I think that if we're talking about teams that are in the most interesting spots in the offseason, I think the Jazz are certainly going to be fascinating to watch over the next month or two is to see what, what kind of moves they make because they're the type of team that, like Milwaukee last season, you could point to the Jazz specifically and say, hey, one great offseason move can end up making the difference between the Jazz possibly holding the trophy next June and the Jazz uh, ended up uh, you know, losing in the second round again and then having fans uh, be a little bit upset as to what the Jazz potential and future could be and uh, whether they are wasting Donovan Mitchell's prime years. And you think about Donovan Mitchell, 24 years old. I mean, he really did the job in the postseason. Obviously, he was playing hurt with that ankle injury. 
but uh, can the Jazz and specifically Donovan Mitchell find a way to take that next step next next season? And I think it starts with a strong offseason in that Jazz front office. And I think the you know the other team in the Western Conference is Denver. Especially if you get a healthy Jamal Murray, I think Denver could be a team that can make a dangerous playoff run, especially when you got Aaron Gordon and the reigning MVP Nikola Jokic. I think Denver's a team that could be one offseason move away from making a big-time title run. And I think the other team in the Western Conference, so we're probably looking at six teams, Phoenix, Lakers, Clippers, Jazz, Nuggets, and maybe Dallas. If Dallas can get a, a dangerous se real second option, to go along with Luka Doncic, because I don't think Kristaps Porzingis is that guy. Is that guy? He is not that guy. Uh, so I think that if Dallas can find a real number two option to go along with Luka, I think the Mavericks can be pretty dangerous. And if you're looking at the Eastern Conference, I mean Brooklyn says, you know, if they were healthy this season, you know, it could end up being Brooklyn holding the trophy instead of Milwaukee. I mean Brooklyn ended up forcing seven games with Milwaukee. It was a tough series, and Kevin Durant did all he could. But you're looking at a Brooklyn Nets team that probably has the uh, the best odds of anybody to dethrone the Milwaukee Bucks next season. I think that if we're talking about interesting offseason storylines, I think that what happens here with uh, Philadelphia looking to shop Ben Simmons, I think it would be inter interesting. And I think that the only obvious spot that Ben Simmons could go is Portland in a trade for Damian Lillard. I mean, you think about the Philadelphia 76ers. If they had Joel Embiid and Damian Lillard, to go along with guys like Tobias Harris and Seth Curry, that could be a very dangerous team. And I look at Philadelphia maybe being the most intriguing team come this offseason. Can they find a way to ship Ben Simmons? And can they find a way to get Damian Lillard to the city of brotherly love? And you know, if you're talking about other teams in the East that can end up contending next season, I look at Atlanta, who's had a great run this season. They're not going anywhere. they got a lot of great young pieces. And I look at Miami with Pat Riley. It always seems like Pat Riley's got something up his sleeves to build the heat into a contender. So I'm interested in seeing what but, uh, Miami is able to do this offseason. So you're on the Tyson Show. We'll talk some football here in a few minutes. But I think that uh, you're talking about 10 teams come this offseason that look to be one offseason move away from possibly uh, dethroning the Milwaukee Bucks and winning the championship in 2020. Have a lot of fun here on the Tyson Show. Uh, you know, I, I think originally I was thinking maybe three or four times a week. I'm a little bit busy, quite frankly, even in the hockey offseason as I've been calling games for the Utah Grizzlies over the last three years. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Tyson on Sports. And when we return to the show, we'll talk some football, SEC Media Day, some interesting storylines from that, and Deion Sanders with a publicity stunt for the ages. And I'll tell you why it was a publicity stunt and why I'm not entirely sure it went off all that well when the Tyson Show comes back right here after this update. Yes, dear, the Bucks are the champions. I'm Tyson Whiting with your 2020 sports update. The Milwaukee Bucks overcome a 0-2 series deficit by winning four games in a row to win their first championship since 1971. Milwaukee won game six by a 105-98 score over the Phoenix Suns as Giannis Antetokounmpo had 50 points, 14 rebounds, and five blocks as he clinched the finals MVP award. The Greek Freak averaged 35.2 points per game and 13.2 rebounds per contest in the series. In game six, five different Milwaukee players scored in double figures, including 16 points from Bobby Portis off the bench. In pro football, the 49ers signed linebacker Fred Warner a five-year contract extension that will keep him in San Francisco through the 2026 season. It's reported to be a five-year, $95 million contract with $40 million guaranteed. That makes him the highest-paid linebacker in the league. Fred Warner was named a first-team All-Pro in 2020. And in hockey, the Seattle Kraken will finally have a team full of players as on Wednesday they reveal their selections in the 2021 NHL expansion draft. Seattle will select 30 players, one per team excluding the Vegas Golden Knights, as the Kraken must select at least 14 forwards, nine defensemen, and three goalies, and at least 20 players who are under contract for next season. The NHL draft follows the expansion draft on July 23rd, and the regular season begins in October. I'm Tyson Whiting. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Welcome back to the Tyson Show. we got some intriguing storylines, not only in the NFL, but in college football. SEC Media Days this week, and obviously that always 
causes a little bit of a stir. Say what you want about Lane Kiffin, but he's never been referred to as boring. It's kind of interesting watching SEC media days. It seemed like the SEC Network's graphics guy had some fun with Lane Kiffin at SEC's media days as he was obviously talking up there. And Lane Kiffin, who I guess lost 30 pounds because he stopped eating. And I guess he's not going to put the pounds on until the defense starts producing a little bit more. Obviously, the defense sets issues over at Ole Miss, and Lane Kiffin is really one good defense away from turning Ole Miss into a contender. But it was interesting, as he was speaking up there at SEC Media Days, the graphics person at SEC Network, you know, they put together that graphic and said, Lane Kiffin, Ole Miss, and then below it said, tweets too much, we'll probably tweet this too. <laughs> so, uh, Lane Kiffin, who's one of the more active tweeters among college football coaches, you know, is probably going to be tweeting about SEC Media Days as well if he hasn't already. It was interesting. The graphics guy also had some fun with Lane Kiffin. Below it, uh, the caption of his name, it said, at some point during his presentation there at SEC's Media Days, it said, knows all the words to Rocky Top. To be honest, that song plays about 75 times every game, so I think everybody in the SEC knows all the words to Rocky Top. But Lane Kiffin having some fun at SEC Media Days. I think Ole Miss is a team to watch. He's got a really good quarterback in Matt Corral. And Ole Miss, who really made some net noise last season, and really they made some noise because of a great offense. However, Lane Kiffin's defense was absolutely pathetic. And if he can find a way to improve the defense even just a little bit, I think Ole Miss is going to be a team to watch for in the SEC. Now, obviously, he's got a tough schedule. Every team in the SEC has got a tough schedule, but I think Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss is a team to watch out for in the SEC. And another team in the SEC to watch out for is Alabama, and specifically their new quarterback, Bryce Young. And even though he hasn't started a game, you know the reviews of Bryce Young are per certainly strong, and it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up having an outstanding year. Now, the one thing that Bryce Young will not be hurting for is money. Apparently, he's raking in the dough already, and he hasn't even started a football game. You know, Alabama football coach Nick Saban hasn't officially named Bryce Young the starting quarterback, even though it's it's assumed that Bryce Young's going to be the starter at Alabama. And yet, Nick Saban, even though he hasn't started a game, Bryce, you know, Bryce Young's already making the money. As Nick Saban has said that Young is already approaching $1 million in endorsement deals. Nick Saban told the Texas High School Coaches Association Convention uh, just on Tuesday, on uh, July 20th, that Bryce Young, a sophomore, is due to make, quote, ungodly numbers. And while Saban wouldn't divulge the specifics of the deals, Young is signed. Saban says the total co compensation is almost seven figures. And it's like the guy hasn't even played yet, Saban says, according to The Athletic, but that's because of our brand. And I think that not only the SEC brand, but the brand of Alabama – and the brand of those blue blood schools. I mean, you talk about this name, image, and likeness thing, and I, I, it's going to be a game changer, and I'm not entirely sure that uh, people realize just how much of a game changer it truly is. I mean, you're talking about guys like Bryce Young, who haven't even started a game, possibly banking about $1 million in endorsement deals. I mean, can you imagine the first time we'll have a Heisman Trophy winner coming back for another season of college football? Let's say a true sophomore wins the Heisman Trophy comes back for another year, and he plays at one of those blue blood schools. You know, say it's either Florida State or Alabama or Auburn or some of these other places, Oklahoma. You know, Spencer Rattler can end up winning the Heisman this year at Oklahoma. He's one of the favorites. You know, Spencer Rattler is going to be one of those players at Oklahoma that I think is going to be raking in a lot of money. I mean, it looks like he's got Lee Steinberg and uh, his organization uh, representing him. So it looks like Spencer Rattler is going to make a bunch of money. But you can't imagine a guy winning a Heisman Trophy and then coming back to another year of college football. I mean, you think about the endorsement possibilities just by winning that trophy. You know, you're going to make a whole lot. You're going to make a ton of money. I mean, you're talking about a guy that could become a multi-million dollar athlete in college. You know, a guy that wins the Heisman. I mean, think about here locally, Ty Detmer wins the 1990 Heisman Trophy, and then comes back for another season at BYU. You know, how much money in 1991 could, could Ty Detmer have made? You know, Johnny Manziel coming back after winning the Heisman Trophy. Jameis Winston, you know, same thing, coming back after winning the Heisman Trophy. I mean, those guys would be making seven figures. I mean, that's, you know, that's the big college brands, the big college athletes. I mean, they're going to be the ones making this kind of money. And with Bryce Young, I mean, the thing is, 
you know, you hear about the the kind of money. I mean, Bryce Young possibly raking in about a million dollars and not even playing a college football game as a starter doesn't surprise me. I mean, that's the, the that's the Alabama brand. I mean, that, the Alabama brand really sells itself. And I don't think it's any accident that Nick Saban said what he said. I mean, I think he said it knowing that it would make headlines because he wants to let every recruit, every five-star recruit know that, hey, this Alabama brand is real. <laughs> the Alabama brand is stronger than anybody would imagine. And I think because of that, you realize that uh, you go to Alabama and you're a top-flight football player, you're going to be making a lot of money. And it doesn't have to be Alabama. You could go to Oklahoma, Texas. I mean, the name image likeness thing, I mean, it's a game changer. But I think that it's one of those where at the end of the day, the rich get richer and the poor are going to kind of stay poor. But at the end of the day, I think it's going to be interesting. I think it's uh, no accident that Nick Saban said what he did considering that uh, that's going to be a recruiting tool. And even though teams I don't think are allowed to specifically use that as a recruiting tool, the potential of the kind of money that athletes can make, but let's face it, the five-star athletes, you know, these top-flight athletes say they know where the money is going to be made, and so I think that teams like Alabama are just going to continue to get richer and richer, and uh, these athletes are just going to continue to make more and more money as they realize the possibilities, and especially when you talk about a couple years from now, when you get that Heisman Trophy winner that comes back to college for another year, it's amazing the kind of money and the kind of, kind of potential that uh, they, that uh, you can end up having. I mean, you're talking about a guy like Spencer Rattler wins the Heisman Trophy this year at Al- at Oklahoma. He's probably going to be making two two and a half million dollars, say especially if he comes back to Oklahoma for another season. So it's going to be uh, fascinating to see where it goes from there. But uh, already SEC quarterbacks who haven't even started a game raking in about a million dollars. It's a lot of fun talking football here on the Tyson Show, and uh, usually you don't talk about SWAC Media Days, you know, the conference that Jackson State is in, you know, part of the uh, historically black college universities. Deion Sanders coaches Jackson State, and uh, Jackson State's got a great football history. Think about that's where Walter Payton ended up going to college, and his brother Eddie was a pretty good football player as well. Len Barney, Hall of Fame football player, also went to Jackson State. There were a few other Hall of Famers that ended up playing at Jackson State, but obviously most of those guys played 50 years ago, 40 years ago. You don't necessarily see players coming from Jackson State quite like they used to, but Deion Sanders was hired as their head coach back in 2020, just last year, and it's pretty obvious that he's going to create a little bit of a stir, and he's going to bring a lot of attention, and it's some of it's good. you know, Getting that attention for a school like Jackson State and a conference like the SWAC, I mean, they like the attention, and they like the fact that a high-profile name like Deion Sanders is there. Now, remember to call him Coach Sanders and don't call him Deion because it's kind of interesting that uh, he wants to be treated like Nick Saban. You know, Nick Saban has won six national championships, and, uh, you know, there's something about it. Uh, It's an interesting story coming out of uh, of SWAC Media Days. You know, there is something to be said about the respect for for a title like Coach. You know, people are always called coach. You know, Coach Saban, you almost see it in high school as much as anything else where there's something respectful about the title of a coach. You know, you see players, uh, you know, whether it's high school players, college players, NFL players, if they respect them, you know, they respect their coach, they usually don't call them by their name. They just call them coach. You know, I, I watched uh, an old Cowboys game back from 1993, and they, they had Tom Landry going into the ring of honor all his former players always called him coach. They always gave him that respect for calling him coach. And, you know, they, they, it's almost like they couldn't call him Tom. It's like we got to call him Coach Landry. we got to call him coach because that to them that's who he is. And so, you know, I think that Deion Sanders kind of went a little too far with this. As uh, he was at SWAC Media Days, he, was, he had his, him and his players had their time at the podium, and uh, somebody had the audacity to call him Deion. And uh, Deion Sanders uh, snapped. He said, quote, you don't, call me, you don't call Nick Saban Nick. Don't call me Dion." Sanders told Nick Suss from the Clarion Ledger. And Sanders said, quote, if you call Nick Nick, you'll get cussed out on the spot. So don't do that to me. Sanders later added, treat me like Nick. <laughs> he wants to be treated like a guy who won six national championships as a head coach. 
And so Deion Sanders, who went 4-3 and three in his first year as a head coach at Jackson State, walked out without being referred to by his first name a second time. So he said, don't call me Dion, call me coach. And somebody somebody knowing that, uh, you know, this guy might be full of it, just like, yeah, Dion. And uh, Dion said, I'm out. And so it's interesting. Uh, Nick Suss, the reporter who called Dion Sanders by his first name, you know, he was quoted in an article and said, quote, when I interview, pe- <laughs> when I interview people, I call them by their first name. Whether it's somebody I've been working with for years or somebody I've been talking to for the first time. This is true of the coaches and players of the the Ole Miss beat, which include Lane Kiffin. The coaches and players at uh, Mississippi State. I mean, does Mike Leach like being called coach or does he like being called Mike? At Southern Miss, you know, and uh, it's interesting to kind of see, you know, and I guess even in January – Deion Sanders was okay with being called Deion, which is why I think it's just a publicity stunt, and I think it's a publicity stunt that comes off really poorly. The only defense that Deion has really is what I mentioned before, is that coaches always get get called coach out of respect for the title. And uh, to be honest, how many people really knew that the the SWAC media days were being held? So if if Deion doesn't walk out of SWAC media days, does anybody really know that SWAC media days happened? Did anybody know that SWAC media day was on – July 20th, I mean, let's face it, that's why Deion Sanders is there. He's a name, and a conference like the SWAC are always in attention. They're always in need of people like Deion Sanders. They're always in need of some attention. So I think that's why I think it's a publicity stunt. I think it's a really poor publicity stunt. Maybe he did it to cover up another story that's coming out of SWAC Media Days that doesn't necessarily reflect all that well of Jackson State. And it was kind of good to see Nick Suss from the Clarion Ledger that he was actually – there because there was another Clarion Ledger reporter who was barred from covering the Jackson State football media football team at Media Day uh, on July 20th, and uh, there was a story that came out on July 19th on a Monday that was pu- published on a domestic violence charge against the highest-ranked high school recruit in program history, and so a guy named Rashad Milligan he was blocked by two Jackson State University officials from covering Coach Sanders' program in Birmingham, Alabama at SWAC Media Days. And so, you know, you're talking about uh, Jackson State trying to block the media from covering because uh, it was reported about a Jackson State player who uh, pled guilty on a charge of assault causing bodily injury to a fa- to a family member, a misdemeanor in Texas. And I guess the, uh, the athlete's going to plead not guilty, even though it did say in the article that uh, said that they would plead guilty. I mean, it's one of those where... Um, you kind of wonder about Jackson State blocking people from the media. And I think that maybe Deion Sanders used it as a publicity stunt to cover up the other story. Either way, it's kind of interesting, some of the stuff that's going on with the SWAC media days. And it looks like that uh, conference is going to be getting a lot of attention over the next uh, few years. And I think guys like Deion Sanders are certainly going to be a part of it. And I think the media covering uh, SWAC football is certainly going to be part of uh, why that conference is going to continue to grow. But a couple interesting stories coming out of SWAC Media Days, and uh, you know, I guess a little bit of an update on the uh, calling Coach Saban, you know, Coach Coach Saban, and not calling him Nick. I apparently had SEC Media Days. Uh, Nick Saban was called Nick eight times by reporters uh, during the, the press conference at SEC Media Days, and apparently Nick Saban did not cuss out one reporter, didn't cuss out anybody who decided to call him Nick. So it's interesting to see what's uh, going on there, which is why I think it was just a publicity stunt, one that was uh, actually poorly planned and uh, really poorly executed. But actually it was, it was well executed based on what Deion Sanders wanted to get out of it. And Jackson State and the SWAC conference, or, or SWAC, I mean, I guess the, the C in SWAC does stand for conference. You know, they're getting some of the attention that uh, they certainly want. And um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with uh, Deion Sanders, uh, who went 4-3 and three in 2020 as Jackson State's head coach. He will be entering his second season at Jackson State as we're talking football here on the Tyson Show. The uh, July, uh, what, what is today, July 21st edition of the Tyson Show. We'll have some interesting things to talk about next week. We'll talk some uh, NBA draft, and we're also a little bit closer to fall camp. We'll give you some of my thoughts on the Pac-12, as I think Pac-12 Media Days will be coming up here in a few weeks, if not next week, and we'll talk about uh, where I think the Utes are going to be. Could this be the year where the Utes end up winning 
the Pac-12 championship game and uh, maybe going to the Rose Bowl, maybe going to the college football playoff. We'll talk next week about what uh, the Utes need to do in order to get to that point. But uh, some interesting NFL stories as we wrap things up here on the Tyson Show. Uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback Tom Brady, the GOAT, played the entire season in 2020 with a torn MCL. That's right, Tom Brady tore his MCL. Interestingly enough, that was not listed on the injury report all season long, but Tom Brady uh, underwent surgery to repair the knee in late February after leading the Buccaneers to the Super Bowl victory at the age of 43. And uh, even though the surgery was uh, – uh, it was interesting, though, uh, to Brady, he has not discussed specifics about the surgery, but he said only it was pretty serious, end quote. And um, – the interesting thing, though, is that it was not listed on the injury report all season long, which means that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers can end up facing some serious punishment from the NFL because they are certainly protective of uh, uh, making sure that the injury report is accurate because, um, well, they don't want to say why, because because of gambling, because gambling brings in too much money, and they want to make sure those injury reports are right so that uh, gamblers and people and uh, odds makers end up uh, putting the right lines together. Uh, let's face it, that's the only reason why they do it because I think you know teams don't want to say this guy's battling with this injury, he's got a right arm, you know, he's got a left knee, maybe there's an ankle injury. They don't want the opposing teams to be targeting those type of things. And so uh, that's why teams like uh, Tampa Bay make sure that uh, they, you know, if nobody knows about the injury, they're not going to report it. But uh, the NFL um, is going to you know, make sure that they take a stand. And I, I wouldn't surprise me if Tampa Bay ends up losing a draft pick or something like that and maybe getting fined a lot of money for not putting Tom Brady on the injury report uh, last season with a torn MCL. And we mentioned earlier in the show about the Milwaukee Bucks winning the NBA championship, and uh, I think that it's probably good for the state of Wisconsin. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is a part owner of the Milwaukee Bucks, and uh, certainly uh, Aaron Rodgers has a lot of money, and Aaron Rodgers has had a lot of headlines lately. You know, he was in the, the match uh, earlier in July uh, where he was in the golf tournament and actually played pretty well. Uh, did Aaron Rodgers, and it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up playing a lot more golf over the next few months because I'm, I don't think he's going to show up at Green Bay Packers training camp. I mean, vibes are obviously strong in Wisconsin because the Bucks ended up winning the championship, but I got to imagine Aaron Rodgers, who recently just turned down a two-year extension from the Green Bay Packers, which would have made Aaron Rodgers the highest-paid quarterback and player in football, maybe even in football history. You know, the Packers offered him two more years, which would have given him five years uh, left on a contract, and uh, the reigning MVP said no. And I got a feeling that uh, this is going to be one of those issues that uh, the Green Bay Packers are going to have all season long because I think that Aaron Rodgers' issue really is with general manager Brian Gutekunz and uh, drafting Jordan Love. And I don't know that it's necessarily just drafting Jordan Love, uh, but it's the fact that uh, Aaron Rodgers wasn't told that they could be the the Packers could possibly draft a quarterback, and uh, doesn't really seem like Aaron Rodgers over the last couple of years has had a good relationship with his head coach, and uh, so I kind of wonder, you know, everybody. That's the big question, I guess, in Wisconsin. You know, once they're done celebrating the Bucks championship is whether Aaron Rodgers is going to show up to camp or not. And I got a feeling that Aaron Rodgers is going to be a no-show at Packers camp, at least initially. You know, I, I got a feeling that, uh, you know, drafting Jordan Love, you know, that might have been one thing. But I think that that was just one piece to, to why Aaron Rodgers is frustrated. I don't think that's necessarily the entire story. I think there's a little bit more there than that. But, um, you know, I, I got a feeling with Aaron Rodgers, you know, at some point the Packers are going to have to decide. All right, we're going to have to trade this guy or we're just going to have to wait it out and hope that Aaron Rodgers – at some point just decides to show up to camp because if Aaron Rodgers is just willing to sit out the entire season and the Packers are hands you know, the Packers hands are tied because this isn't 2008 where Jordan Love's is going to show up and play great because I don't think Jordan Love's going to be a good NFL quarterback. He's got all the physical tools, but if you remember watching Utah State, he was outstanding in 2018, 2019 he was not as good. Now if you're uh, on the side of thinking that Jordan Love's going to be a good quarterback. If you want to defend Jordan Love, you could probably point to the coaching change, you know, Matt Wells being out, Gary Anderson in, uh, and, uh, you know, things were different at Utah State in 2019. Maybe he didn't have quite the supporting cast that he had in 2018. You could point to a number of different things as to why Jordan Love did not play well for Utah State in 2019. 
I think the the big thing though is his accuracy. You see an accurate enough quarterback. You know, see the type of quarterback that's going to need at least a half a year in order for the game to slow down for him. I mean, I got a feeling that Aaron Rodgers is kind of banking on the fact that Jordan Love might not be necessarily a good football player. And I think that that's why Aaron Rodgers is going to sit out, and I think that's why Aaron Rodgers is going to find a way to get out of Green Bay. I think the one team to watch out for if the Packers have to start uh, searching for a possible trade for Aaron Rodgers, the one team that I think has been holding out hope and holding out resources is the Denver Broncos. I could easily see Aaron Rodgers in a Denver Broncos uniform because it seems like the Broncos, who are in desperate need of a quarterback, in fact, Denver doesn't seem like they've uh, replaced Peyton Manning. It seems like they're still trying to find a, w- a way to replace Peyton Manning, who retired five or six years ago. You know, it seems like Denver is the team that uh, could be the easy, uh, could easily be the destination for Aaron Rodgers. Even though I think that uh, earlier in the offseason, Aaron Rodgers probably wanted to go to the Rams, who ended up trading for Matthew Stafford. And I also think that Aaron Rodgers wanted to go to San Francisco who have decided to uh, draft Trey Lance, which uh, pretty much ends any possibility that the the Niners are going to end up trading for a quarterback and specifically trading for a guy like Aaron Rodgers. Even though I think earlier in the offseason, the 49ers would have been the place that Aaron Rodgers would have wanted to go to. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, that's going to be one of those ongoing stories that not only has lingered over the last few months of the offseason, but I think it's going to linger on deeper into training camp and maybe even into the regular season. It's going to kind of, um, if it hasn't already, I almost get that feeling that it's going to kind of uh, go into that territory of Brett Favre. Remember the all the attention that Brett Favre got not only the summer of 2008 where he ended up getting traded to the New York Jets, but then the offseason that followed where he ended up in the uniform of the Minnesota Vikings. I got a feeling that Favre watch is going to kind of turn into A-Rod watch they're in Wisconsin, and uh, while they're still going to be celebrating the Milwaukee Bucks championship, uh, I think Aaron Rodgers is going to find a way out the door and on to Denver or maybe even one of the teams in California. Uh, we'll, I guess uh, uh, stay tuned because that story certainly got some more layers to it. Thanks for listening to the Tyson Show. I'm Tyson Whiting. Next week we'll talk some college football, and we'll also talk some NBA draft. Kate Cunningham's probably going to be the number one overall pick. But is this a deep draft? Is this the type of draft where you can get a good player about 15, 16? You know, the Jazz are drafting in the 20s. Can they possibly get a good player in the 20s? I'm not necessarily sure it's a deep draft, but we'll dive into it next week. Thanks for listening to the Tyson Show. Make sure to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Tyson Whiting, and it is what it is. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.